Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three, two, one. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me director Eamon Murphy. Hello, Eamon. Hello, Stuart. How are you? I'm doing very well, feeling very guilty, so I'll, I'll be honest with the listener. Um, this was meant to happen about 90 minutes ago, and me being forgetful, stroke brackets, really a little bit overworked today. I, uh, I ran over into our time with some other work, so... Apologies there, Eamon. And, uh, oh, it's okay, it's we're okay. Gonna, we're going to crack on and talk about your movie. Do you want to give us the title? Yeah, so the title of the film is Lost Memories. And a brief synopsis? Uh, the film, uh, essentially, I guess the logline of the film would be Sean uh, races against the clock to his mother's deathbed while dealing with inter-family politics over the phone. Brilliant. I couldn't have said it better myself. And we met originally at Discover Film Festival, yeah? Yes, yes, we did. And without, and we met at the awards, just before the awards, and because and, I really enjoyed your film as much as anything else. And then while the awards were going on, you went and got yourself how many prizes? Uh, we won two awards. We won the uh, Best Director Award and we won the Audience Award for Best Short Film. How does that feel when you say you've won the Best Director Award? <laughs> uh, it's a little bit surreal. I like I never I never thought I'd win a best director award. Uh but yeah, it's kind of it's you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, I think that the best director award is also almost like the best actor award, you know, you, they kind of go hand in hand. So you can't really be a good director without good actors. So hmm. No, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. But so yeah. um Let's talk about the film then. So you, you gave us a really good, succinct um, synopsis there. So in terms of the idea and then the writing of it, what was your involvement at the, at the kind of inception of this and then how did it develop as a screenplay from there? Um, well, originally my friend Emmett Kelly, who stars in the film as Sean, yeah. uh, approached me with an idea for a script um, about year about probably about two years after uh he experienced the death in the family and he he had this idea about a character racing towards uh his mother's deathbed and uh drawing from his own experiences of how his own family reacted to it to a death um 
incorporating that into a story somehow. Mm. Um, so it, it kind of intrigued me because it was funny that, uh, you know, when from my experiences with death as well, uh, that how we both had similar, we both went through very similar things. So um, I asked Emmett to go off and write draft and come back to me. Mm. Um, so then I think probably about two months went by and he came back with a draft, a very strong draft actually. Um, but he, I think what he did was he incorporated a lot of false elements in there that, um, that he wanted to use to try and take it away from his own personal experiences. Okay. So, so throughout the writing process then, and we actually wrote, the writing process went on for probably about four or five months on and off hmm. because we were going through different ways to find funding and stuff like that. So we actually got shortlisted into like the final five of a funding scheme here in Ireland and yeah. we were unsuccessful. Um, but then we went off and we tried to get funding elsewhere and eventually we succeeded. And throughout that process, we were just getting advice and feedback from the producers on how we could improve the story ourselves. Hmm. So that was what that was. People, the producers, the people from the fund. Uh, no, they weren't from the fund. Originally, we got feedback from them. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't very in-depth feedback, mainly because they were focusing on the people that they wanted to fund and make sure that that film was as best as it could be. Okay. Um, so, so then, um, I worked freelance with a lot of companies. Yeah. And one of them read the script and liked the idea of the script and related to the script, and they decided that they would fund it. And how how do you find that process of the sort of the, the evolution of a screenplay, especially where I guess you're 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 having to sort of keep giving your your starstroke writer um, sort of almost it's like you can't it's not so much you're giving instructions, is it not? You you kind of give indication and, and direction, for want of a better word, uh, as to where to take the script based on what feedback you have, and then it's almost like how how do you differentiate between the good feedback and the feedback that someone isn't getting what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think yeah, I think at the at the time we were getting lots of feedback and lots of feedback that we were given was not relevant to the film that I was trying to make. Hmm. Um, generally, I for me anyway, my kind of rule of thumb is if someone gives me feedback and they give me a succinct reason as to why I should do this thing and how that will affect the audience in a certain way, then I'll take it on board. Yeah. But if people just say, oh, no, I think that scene should go here and not give me a reason why, then <laughs> I just disregard it, you know? <laughs> um, so, in the yeah, it was kind of that process when we were in the writing stage where I'd, take a, I'd get feedback from people and I it was almost like I'd write a draft then and I'd send it to Emmett and I'd say, here, read this, let me know what you think. Right, Is there okay. any? So it was, it was kind of... It wasn't like he just wrote the entire thing or I just directed him. It was like he wrote a draft. I read that. I had my own thoughts. I wrote a draft, sent it off, wrote a second draft, then sent it back to Emmett. So a bit, um, a bit of script tennis? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of back and forth a lot. And, it, you know, there's some little arguments here and there that always happens of, well, do I don't think the character should show that film should go this way or that way, you know. But Do you, do you remember know. what? I mean, let, let's focus on the positive. Do you remember what the... The sort of best note you got was that really helped you take take the uh, take the script on. I think one of the main main notes was uh, 
the character of Brenda was to really add more depth into the character of Brenda as to why she's being so mean to to Emmett's character in the film. That's the sister, so, isn't it, of the kind yeah. of the protagonist? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I guess in a classical film structure, she she is the antagonist in the film. I would say, and, and who's causing the most trouble to Sean and blaming him for everything that's happening. Hmm. And um, I guess it was that kind of revelation about three quarters through the film as to why she feels that way was quite possibly probably one of the most most important pieces in the film. For sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess it's that, it's that thing, isn't it, about, um, about imminent grief as well, isn't it? It's kind of like you can live with grief because someone's ill, and then there's the kind of, was I really prepared for this? And then I think one of the great things that, that your film draws out is, is suddenly we, we all start going, no, I'm the best family member. No, I'm the best family member. As if, as if everything you've done in life is the visible stuff that is, is, is the way we talk about it almost becomes akin to collecting conflict tokens or something, you know, in yeah. the way you live your life, when in fact it's relationships are much more complex and intriguing than that, aren't they? Yeah, I, felt, I, I guess from our own experience, well, from my own experiences and talking to friends, it's like a lot of us, when dealing with death, is that it doesn't, or grief, it doesn't really hit us instantly. Mm. We're, a lot of the times we're just caught up in just being present in the moment, surrounded by people. And you don't really have time to grieve, especially if it's someone close to you. Mm. You're almost just there making sure that everyone's okay or making sure that the person is comfortable. And a lot of bottled up emotions start rising up and they come out in different ways, uh, depending on the person and they vent it in different ways. And unfortunately the character of Sean has a sister who deals with her grief in a way that, uh, is set to hurt him, I guess, you know? Mm. And I, and I, and I think that, and I think when people deal with that in that way, they kind of look for different reasons to make themselves feel better. It's probably a, not a conscious decision to make themselves feel better, but almost like a subconscious decision. Um, that they try to give a reason as to why they're one of their most loved people is passing away. Mm. Now, now, two challenges you gave yourself with this movie that people that won't have seen it won't understand until I've pointed out, having listened to it so far, is that all the action is focused on the protagonist of Sean because most of this sort of build-up and this set-up and payoff is happening while he's on his own, while he's on his own in the car, and largely over the phone, only seeing yeah. his face in the action. Um. So let's take the phone. Let's take the, the phone first. How did you, how did you look at that as a challenge to make it interesting visually? Because obviously a phone is boring as hell. But I, I never yeah. felt I never felt like that watching the movie. So what were your thought processes into how do I make the phone cinematic? Yeah, I think I think what what we did was when in pre production we tended to look at a lot of films. Uh, like obviously we looked at the film Luck starring Tom Hardy. Yeah. Um, we looked at films such as uh, what's that Tom Cruise one, the Michael Mann one. Uh, Collateral. Collateral, yeah. And Drive and other films that mainly took place in the car. Yeah. Um, and then for me personally, I 
happen to watch a lot of Danny Boyle films because I think Danny Boyle's style of filmmaking is very quick, very fast edits, and it kind of creates a sense of atmosphere through his edits mm. more so than just the pictures themselves. So in relation to the phone, it was that if I kept, for me personally, if I kept as much action on Sean and cut to the phone as little as possible, that's how I could make it work. Mm. And and I guess the phone isn't the phone isn't really a visual device anyway. Of course, regardless, of course. it's yeah, not yeah. a visual device. So it was mainly in the casting process where we found actors that had very distinct voices that we could have that we could help the audience distinguish them in, almost in a couple of seconds as to who they were. So you had Aoife, who's pretty much just a normal Irish accent voice. Yeah. Then you have John, uh, the dad played by John Cavanagh, who most people would know him from uh, Braveheart and uh, Vikings, uh, that TV series Vikings. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And he has a very uh, deep, resonant, gravelly voice, uh, which is very distinct. And then we had Sean's girlfriend, uh, played by uh, a girl called uh, Nicole Paletti, and her character name was Jane. And Nicole herself is Italian, so she obviously had spoke English with an Italian accent. So that's how we kind of made it made it work, and that we created three very distinct voices coming through mm. on the phone. Yeah, no, because because it, 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 they they weave a web and they overlap each other, but you you always feel during the action that each time he's speaking to one of them, it's the beef or the problem in his life that they present that's being dealt with at that point. You don't yeah. you don't feel like the three of them are competing for a unified attention, are they? Not? It's always obviously what makes it dramatic. Yeah, well, I think I think it's that when we approached it, we we kind of sat down and we decided to ourselves that each of these characters have their own different backstory or different relationship with Sean. Hmm. You know, like there's a there's a moment in this in the film. Well, I don't know if people picked up on it where uh, Sean's driving along and he's talking to his dad and he asks his dad. Uh, asks that, um, how are you keeping? Hmm. And the dad says, I don't know. But he never asks the question back to Sean. Right. He never asks Sean how he is. And so there's just these kind of little moments that we incorporated in there that might not resonate on a conscious level to the audience, but there's just moments there that you, that could uh, point to like bits of friction within the relationships. Hmm. You know, and even even with the character of Jane, where uh, she says, um, what she say? She says, uh, "I love you," to Sean after a long moment of silence. You know, yeah. And yeah, and, yeah. and in that and in, in that one, it was that we kind of posed that even their relationship was having trouble at around that time as well, because the character Sean's character is so back and forth between his family and his dream and his relationship and. Yeah, there's just a lot of friction going on between the characters that isn't that isn't probably blatantly said in the film. And also, but also, what what makes the what makes all this drama really work is that we know Sean was doing something purely for himself to start with. You know, that was to do with his own ambition and yeah. his, and his own personal life. It was you know, even though against the backdrop of of the sick mum, he was still at, an opportunity arose that he couldn't say no to. So we, we know we know at the front end of what's happening that he's he's took a decision that maybe would be unpopular anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like putting the character between a rock and a hard place. Mm. And I, I guess you're kind of, I guess we're kind of making it almost defining the character or asking yourself, like, what would you do if you were in that position? Where, where, where did that come from? Because I think that's what resolves all the action is the, the fact that we know he's doing something for himself, which doesn't reveal one way or the other whether he's been a good son or a bad son with the mother. But it tells yeah. us something about him. Was that was that something that's the biographical element, or is that a fictional element that you you brought in to help sort of up the ante? As um, well? uh, not not so much biographical. No, I guess for I, I guess when people when people die, people often say, "What would what would so and so would have wanted you would have wanted you to do?" Sure. You know, and it, it comes up a lot, even with footballers. When who was it? Like Robbie Keane's father passed away a couple of years ago, and he was, and he he went and played and played for Ireland like the same day as his dad's funeral. You know, and some people would say, well, is that the right thing to do, or not the not the right thing to do? Mm. And even and, and even though his father might have blatantly said, look, this is this is what I want you to do, I think the fact that in the story, Sean's mother is so supportive of him that he, he it almost gives him the permission to go, I guess. You know, and he and he and Sean the character Sean knows that's gonna cause friction between the family. That's why he tries to leave the house as quietly as possible and as unannounced as possible and try to get back there as soon as possible. Mm. Now the other side, the, uh, and the, the other thing about, about the use of the phone is you've got that wonderful the, the wonderful moment where where we're kind of getting to that unfortunate point where maybe time's against Sean and we're left with him in a car and the kind of, I think we can hear the breathing, can't we, of the mother. Yes. There's no words spoken. Now, the, now that was really, really powerful when I, when, when, I saw it in, when I saw it in your film. And in the last few days, I've spoken to someone who's moved to America and they told me that they were a Skype call by their dying mother's bed, which I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's like because yeah. obviously they couldn't get away from where they were, and so and she told me the funny story was is that she said that when um, <laughs> we laugh about the story was that nobody told the nurses, and they thought it was just a photograph on, on by the bed, <laughs> and so the nurses were doing their kind of luckily they just did you know nice nice normal care. Mm. <coughs> And then she started talking, and about and the three nurses shit themselves. <laughs> but that's okay. not that, that that's yeah, digressing. Yeah. But uh, it just just because I thought that was a really powerful moment. Because again, you're you're using the device of the phone, but you're you're it's no less dramatic, even though there's nothing being said. It's because he's looking at this device, and now it becomes important, doesn't it? Because yeah, when, I, we look, yeah. when we look at the phone in this moment, it's like it's it's just a bloody phone. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, you know, when we were writing the film, or when I was sitting down to storyboard and mm. look at it visually, um, there is a very clear transition for me anyway, that the, the film starts off in this bustling city and ends up in a quiet countryside house. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was, I guess, throughout that moment when, uh, the moment that you're talking about that Sean's in, mm. we are leading up to that point. The audience has just been bombarded with sounds. Sounds of the car, sounds of the phone, sounds of Sean talking or his sister and his dad talking. And they're just they're almost completely overwhelmed with all these fast edits and fast sounds that 
by doing that and then bringing them into this moment where there's nothing but the sound of his mother's breathing coming in over the phone mm. and everything else is still I'm pretty sure that mo- that sequence is only two shots really yeah that sequence is, uh, is yeah, only he stops, two, the, he stops you know. the car doesn't he he stops, yeah. he stops, he stops the, the car he stops the car pulls in and throughout that entire sequence the camera only cuts once yeah, well, after that yeah it's really it's really powerful it really it really works yeah it, and, and it was that we we purposely framed the camera behind Sean for most of it because it's almost it's such a private moment for the character that I felt that like we almost had to give him that sense of privacy for for what he's saying to his mother and give him that little bit of dignity before we come in to the close up from the front near the end of that sequence. That's really interesting. The idea, the idea of being having some sort of <laughs> the camera having compassion for what the emotion that's that because obviously we we usually want the camera to look at it, but really what you're saying there is is that you're you're making the audience act with some compassion, aren't you, towards the character's dilemma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a very conscious decision. That was kind of one mm. of the earliest, one of the earliest thing, one of the earliest decisions we had was. To to not be in there too much, I felt like it would be. I think it would just be too intense. I think mm. and too uncomfortable. And I think by putting the audience in that position where we're outside the car looking in, and that we can see the character alone, and we're not, and we can just let him, let that character have his moment. Mm. Well, look, before we move on to talking about the challenges of shooting a car, I must ask you, you said, you said what, Collateral, um, Lock and Drive were three films you looked at in sort of how they used the car and the phone. Yeah. What, was there any sort of common ground? I, I, just dawned on me while you were saying them. Was there any common ground you noticed between those films in, in terms of what they did? Or were they all very different in the way they sort of looked at the, the phone and the car in sort of a film? Um, well, I, I guess uh, from my research, a, a lot of people seem to say that Michael Mann's uh, uh, collateral is very overlit, that it's it's ridiculously bright in, in the cars, you know? Mm, mm. And, and, and I guess in Drive, it, it could be similar. It could be said the same again. Lock, Lock is probably the most realistic one. Out of all of them, in terms of just the visual, the visual side of it, yeah, uh, and we kind of took inspiration from that. Where when we were doing the color grade, we said, you know what, let's just leave it dark. You know, let's not try and make it seem. Let us let's not try and make it seem like a Hollywood Got feature you. film. You know, let's like let's just leave it dark. The car, it's nighttime. He's driving on the motorway. Just leave him in darkness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, you know, in in the sense, that's what he was, wasn't he? He was a man in the dark. <laughs> yeah, try, yeah. Try, trying to get to the light, I suppose, in some senses. Um, so let's talk about that. Then the, the, the next bit, which is actually the challenge to the filmmaker of creating interesting visuals when it's when most of the action is taking place with a man sat in a car on on his own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a, an interesting challenge, even just from a logistics point of view. Uh, but on the visual side. Hmm. Uh, we didn't have the budget to have uh, the like rig, lighting rig surrounding the car or anything like that. Right. So all we had was the natural light, and we had a small little LED panel 
situated in the car to to um, to uh, emulate uh, the uh, the light coming from the phone. Okay. So that's the only light that we had in the car. That's pretty minimal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So to co- to, to compensate that uh, in post, yeah, we we had to shoot everything in five K. Uh, so that way, so any noise that was visible in the image would. So if, if I, let's say if I took a a five K image, yeah, but I had to export that for two K, so all the noise would all pretty much nearly disappear because I'm shrinking the image so much and I'm shrinking the noise. Got you. Got so you. Small, you know, um, so that's how we compensated for it. And like we were shooting. Was that like magic? Was that like magic? By the way. That, that process you just described is that like you're looking at the the, the raw 5k and then you take it down and you go oh look at that it's lovely and smooth now uh no it was it was more <laughs> like hell trying to get my computer to, to process 5k footage i did i did <laughs> that did cross my mind <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh yeah but yeah I, I, I would use it as a last resort at all possible um but uh yeah, so that was that was kind of the visual challenge of the film uh, in terms of lighting it and creating an image, and then throughout the placing of the camera, we mainly just had three setups. Go on. Almost when filming the action of Sean inside the car it was one at like a forty-five degree angle on a car mount on the hood, and then one head-on, and then the other camera was in the back seat of the car just handheld and they were the only three camera angles we could have of the character and then we just had uh, another camera well not another camera but another setup on the phone and that that was pretty much the only coverage that we had that we had to work with um, and, how you, and how were you filming a moving car what was your process there um, yeah well pretty early on it, it became clear that the car had to be towed Okay. Um, because there was just no logistical way for to have Emmett drive and act at the same time. Well, act well at the same time. He could act, but he'd probably act very badly whilst trying to not die on a motorway going at <laughs> eighty kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so the car was put onto a low-level trailer and uh, towed by a van and. I was sit I was see I was sit sitting in the van with a wireless monitor and the sound guy was sitting in the back seat of the car. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you're yeah. in you're in the van so in the trailer with the car on it and your yeah. sound guy is behind your protagonist trying to be invisible. Pretty much, yeah. So <laughs> then so then we had uh, all three of our actors back at a unit base uh, with mobile phones in their hands mm-hmm. and we pretty much shot the film like a play. So you're doing, you're doing real, I seem to remember this the conversation now when we, when we first met, so you filmed it as people talking? Yes, yeah, so we, yeah, so the, it was shot in real time, so uh, it, to be honest, it, when planning it it, it, it sounds complicated, but it was the easiest way to go about it. Right. Um, because all, all of the car, all of the actors are in the same room. So when one of the actors hangs up, the other actor knows that's their cue to call. Right. You know, and and that reduces all kind of 
intercutting or you know doing okay let's just do a take with that with with uh jane or let's just do a take with brenda and trying to shoot it scene by scene so sean is always on and they're just taking the cue from each other pretty much yeah and, okay. and that's okay, that yeah and that's and that's what we had so we had one uh, assistant director and in, in that unit base yeah there just, just in case anything went wrong like we had a couple of issues in terms of just phone coverage or interference of the phones with the uh, don't don't they play hell don't, don't doesn't your sound man not want you to do it uh, pretty much <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but i have to be fair we didn't have that much um overlap because or that much interference rather because um just from doing tests it only seemed to happen when the actual receivers or the the receivers on the mics were in between the two phones, if that makes sense. So if there's like a phone at point A and a phone at point B, yeah. and if the microphones are in between the signals sent to each other, that's when the interference happens. Okay. Yeah, so well, that's what I found anyway. Maybe well, look, we're just, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, if you found a way to make that work, then that's off to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we did have to do a couple of tests in pre-production just to make sure that it would work. Um, and luckily it did, because otherwise I we would have been looking at a lot of, uh, we would have been looking at basically just putting the other actors in the car with Sean and having them act just off camera. Yeah, got you, got you. So yeah. was, there, was there no time delay? Not, not, not even the slightest delay between doing real-time phone calls? There was, yeah, there was actually. There was a slight delay in terms of when a character would say something to when the other character would hear it and then they reply. And uh, that was something that I actually hadn't anticipated. And I was imagine lot, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and it, it, it really, for me, it really affected how to edit the film. Yeah. It really affected how to, in ter- just in terms of pacing, where there would be like half a second delay, and it's like after two, and so after like two shots, that's a two second, uh, one second delay, then a two second delay, and just in terms of getting the, getting the film as tight as possible. That was a real challenge, and f- trying to find a way to fix that. Now, like when we were shooting the film, we already did have plans to, sh- to record ADR of okay. the other actors, got you, um, that who were in the unit base. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just had to use their audio files just as a guide track and cut around Sean's performance to make it his performance as tight as possible, and then in the ADR, squeeze all of the other actors' lines of dialogue in. Okay, so so, Sean, so Sean's lines were, were were okay because he's delivering that to camera and with the micro with the sound the sound guy lying on the floor. Yeah. But then the the people who were in in the other in the other location making the phone calls they they then had to sort of redo their lines. Yeah. Separately. Yeah. Yeah. So you were you you were actually recording the phone call happening in the car, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, we were right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was, I was thinking. Well, obviously, he would yeah, because your sound man can't keep editing, can he? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking you record because I, I don't know if you've seen the film um, Green Room. I haven't. I've. I know of it. Well, Patrick it Stewart has a scene where he's talking through a door, and in the film, it's five characters talking to Patrick Stewart, who you never see on the other side of the door. But I listened to an interview with Jeremy Sonier, who directed it, and he did it again like like you like you were doing like a play. He put a microphone 
Patrick Stewart's side of the door, and he had the he had the microphones and coverage on the the the, the group of actors side of the door and played it for real. Yeah. As opposed to because I just assumed they couldn't afford to have Patrick Stewart on set. So they must have ADR'd him <laughs> in, you know, which which would have made perfect sense, wouldn't it? You know, you'd have yeah. joined the shoot, you'd have had any old Johnny reading the lines and, and then the actors could bounce off it and that's easy peasy. But the idea that they got him in and he said, you know, and they filmed him as well, but he knew all the while he was never going to use that footage of Patrick Stewart, which is, he, he wanted the energy. So, I mean, you, you weren't doing it live, you were doing a phone call recorded in the car. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, like... The actors were there, and the actors in the universe were given their like a one hundred percent performance, you know. Um, but we just knew that the audio wouldn't wouldn't be usable. And in pre-production, we were looking at could we hire another sound guy at the unit base to record the actors' dialogue at the same time. Mm. Um, but I, in the end, I just decided against it because I wouldn't have had a clean way to to talk to the actors at the unit base to you know just redo a line here or there to just get the to just get the pitch right, you know? Mm. Um so it just it just kinda of made more sense to bring them in uh into a studio and sit down and talk with them and go over to er- go over everything, you know. Now when when you when you were when you were looking for advice and stuff on this when you were trying to work things through, you you contacted some of the people who'd worked on lock didn't you? Yes, yes, I did, yeah, so... Were, uh, they, were they people you already knew, or was that like you knew that they'd be someone to talk to? Uh, I personally didn't know them. The producer uh, the producer of the film had a friend who was one of the camera assistants on Luck. Okay. So, um, yeah, so we basically rang them and uh, got their voice on, how the, on basically how the film was shot and uh, what's the best way to go about shooting in a car. Now, obviously, they had a much bigger budget than us. Yeah. And uh, basically what they had done, they had Tom Hardy in a, a 4x4 uh, SUV yeah. uh, being towed on a low-level trailer. So what they did was, to manage the height difference, they took they took out the, took out the suspensions on the 4x4 so that he'd be lower down. And so he'd be, he'd be at the same height as he normally would be if he was driving. Of course, yeah. And they had a lighting rig around the car. And I think they had another car drive behind with lights on it as well. I think. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. Um, and as far as I know, Tom Hardy had an earpiece in one of his ears for the communicator to communicate with him. And uh, a little teleprompter on the side, just in case he was stuck for lines or anything like that. So... Uh, for them, it was pretty much uh, the car was almost like a closed set. Yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so for me, so we what we took from that was that basically I needed uh, a radio communication with Emmett, Sean, and the car, mm. and uh, we the car needed to be towed because there was no other way about it, and Got we had to do it. and we had to do rolling takes because it just would have took too long to do scene by scene and in between setups. You know, we, 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 we shot, we shot this film in pretty much three days. Uh, like if we were doing scene by scene, it probably would have taken about five or six days. I would, I would imagine. Mm. So then what, what's, um, what's next in the, in lost memories diary then? Have you got other festivals on the horizon? Uh, we've got other festivals on the horizon. We haven't heard back from anyone yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's pretty much a waiting game at the moment. We're kind right. of we've targeted some of the big festivals in the UK, uh, some in the US, and here in Ireland as well. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. I know, I know, how, I know how opaque that process is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a long waiting game. <laughs> it is no science. It's a lot of good fortune, and then you either get a lot or you get nothing. It's there's there's no logic to it whatsoever. So. Um, now, uh, is there any? Uh, are you working on any new projects you can talk about? Um, yeah, um, I haven't really decided what my next project is, but I'm working on two two short scripts at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, I generally I'm the kind of person who has loads of ideas and rarely follows through on any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think so, bit, uh, I think that's being human, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is a, a new round of funding coming up uh, in Ireland of different short film funding schemes that I'm going to apply for. Okay. Um, so one is about a, a man who lives on a boat in a, in a harbour. Right. And basically he hasn't paid his, mo- his mooring fees for the last two years and he's kind of at a crux now at the minute as to... He's either going to get his boat repossessed, or he's going to have to sail out into the into the ocean and find somewhere else to go. Um, so that that film is pretty much about uh, friendship and, I guess, a little bit about beating the system. No, no, no totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I have another script. Not too sure on the entire. I know, I have a concept. It's basically it's a it's an old man that needs to go to a meeting, a very important meeting. Yeah. And that's all. That's all I have for now, because uh, I have a couple of different options as to where the story goes, but I'm not quite decided on where it's going. <laughs> well, don't tell us then, so you don't have to submit yeah. it just yet. You keep you yeah. keep your options open. Well, look, congratulations on your uh, your two awards from Discover Film. Thank you. It's a good you. good start to the process when you're uh, when you're waiting for others to get a couple of wins under your belt. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and uh, good luck with uh, with the new projects. Oh, brilliant. All right. Thank you, Stuart. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.